I don't know how many of you have um, Amazon Prime. How many of you have Amazon Prime? Because you like your packages like here instantly. Um, and one of, one of the things that you get with, with Amazon Prime is, is, is this TV thing, um, as well as the, the free uh, and quick, well, it's not free delivery because you're paying for it. Um, I, I, I want to recommend something on there. There's a series uh, called The World's Toughest Race. Who, who has seen that? Anybody seen that? So I'm going to talk about that for a little because we, we struggle in our household to find things that we all want to watch. And, and Catherine hasn't been a big participator in this, but three out of four is good, and three and sometimes the, the fourth one is good. And what, what this is is a, is a series um, hosted by Bear Grylls, who's like this survivalist, who actually has a, a devotional book, if any of you are interested in, in reading the Bear Grylls um, devotion. And uh, 66 teams of four, plus a support team, a support person, over, um, they're, in, they're in Fiji. And um, they're going across about 400 and something, 450, 470 miles of Fiji. Um, and they have to do this in 11 days. And it's called the world's toughest race because, as you can imagine, trying to keep about 40-something miles a day across difficult terrain is, is an interesting experience. Um, and, and they cover ocean, and they start out with outrigger canoes, which are canoes that have those stabilizing things on it. And, I remember one team set out really fast and ran out of steam because they went too hard at the start and other people came and passed them and they go through jungles and they go through rivers. They have to climb a, a thousand foot waterfall, I think it is. And I remember one of the, I found out, we don't give you, no spoiler, spoilers, um, and paddle boards and there's times when they're mountain biking, but the mountain bikes are in, in terrain that is so muddy that they have to carry the mountain bikes. Um, and, and, and these are people that are trained for this. Um, they, they all presumably had the skill to do it, and they all had the know-how to do it. I was reading online, and you have to have shown that you have certain certifications that you can rappel, and you can mount, mountain climb, and you do understand what to do in a canoe. Um, but it's interesting that even though they had all those things, um, the, the important thing that I began to realize that everybody needed to have was perseverance, was, was, was perseverance, was the... The, the desire to keep going when your body says no more or when your knees are swollen or when you're walking through the point they have to, I think it was 40, was it 40 miles? It was a long time. They had to go through, a, they had to swim through a river. It was a long time, four or five hours in the river that was sub 50 degrees and some of them are getting close to hypothermia and many wanted to quit but they, they kept going. And, and why I've called this the missing ingredient or, or the essential ingredient is because I think that Perseverance is the thing that was the essential ingredient to them in, in that world's toughest race because no matter how much you trained, if you didn't persevere, if you didn't keep going past the point that your mind said quit or your body said quit, um, you wouldn't finish the race. And what's interesting is there's another ser uh, sh um, uh, uh, program on Amazon called um, The Iron Cowboy or something like that. Who's seen that? The Iron Cowboy, yeah, we watched this last night, is, is one, of the, one of the participants in the world's toughest race. And he doesn't even finish like in the top, top 20. Um, but this guy did 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. Um, and so the man who could do 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states finishes somewhere in the middle of the field of this world's toughest race. And just to think, well, just, just put it in context, what's an Ironman? An Ironman is, I think you've got to swim for 2.4 miles. And then you've got to bike for 112 miles, and then you've got to run a marathon. 
every day for 50 days and the logistics in 50 states. And, and, and even watching that last night, the, the, the extent to which he has to persevere past the point that he's, his whole body is in pain for days. Um, and he's got a team around him. And without the team, it wasn't going to work. Um, and so, so I'm speaking to you today about perseverance as, as the missing ingredient question mark or the essential ingredient, whatever it is, it matters in Christianity, just like it, it matters in cooking, um, for example. Because if you bake a, who bakes cakes? Anybody bake cakes? If you miss eggs out, what kind of cake do you get? Not a good cake. If you, if you, if you bake bread and you miss yeast out, what do you get? Flat bread. And, and, you, and you check the yeast like we did because yeast is hard to find at the moment. And when we found some, we're like, is this dead, dead yeast? Because we've baked the same bread and it's got to be the bread maker. It's got to be me. It's got to be, we forgot to put something else in. But the missing ingredient, or I've got to try one and this may go terribly. Uh, barbecue sauce, missing ingredient. What if you miss out? Vinegar. What kind of barbecue sauce do you have? You, who, who makes barbecue sauce here? I know nothing about what I'm talking about. But I'm hoping that I'm standing in front of some folks who, who can tell me the difference between regional barbecue sauces and presumably there is a, something you've got to have in all of them. No? Yes. And what is that, Steve? Thank you. I was right. It was vinegar. <laughs> um, and, and, and so... And so I'm wondering whether there's a missing ingredient that if we don't have it, no matter how much we have a kingdom dream, no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we hope, no matter how excited we are about something, that if we don't have this missing ingredient, which I'm going to say is perseverance, is that it all eventually comes to nothing. Um, and so I'm going I'm to read today. Jesus um, tells his disciples um, uh, a story in a parable, reading in Matthew 13, 1 to 9. And you just imagine that you're one of Jesus' disciples and you hear this. And then we'll find how they responded to it in just a little minute. It says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, um, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear... Um, let him hear. And in verse 10, Jesus' disciples basically say, huh? Because <laughs> they say, why do you speak to us in parables? And so in verses 11 to 17, Jesus explains to them that the parables are a way of, of, of relating to people something that they couldn't understand otherwise. Jesus is very clear about the principles and the concepts of the kingdom of heaven and sees them as plain as day. But to, to, to relate those spiritual things to people who haven't seen them, Jesus has to sort of find some, some middle ground. So he begins to speak to them about things that they understand. And because they're a community, they understand, they understand agriculture and farming. Jesus speaks to them in terms of farming. And so he says, let me, let me talk to you about something that you understand. And so hopefully, thinking about something you understand, you're going to get some insight into the thing I'm talking about that you really couldn't understand unless I was explaining it to you in terms like things that you do understand. That's what 
it says in verses 11 to 17, but also bear it in mind that Jesus has been walking with his disciples and then suddenly there's a multitude. The parable has another purpose because a lot of people are flocking to this man. And so not only does the parable relate to them things that they couldn't see and understand otherwise, but it's also a separator because he says, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's a sense in which if you have ears and you have the intent and the heart to hear, you'll hear something. But if you're just hanging around because you want to, you realize that later on that this guy, if you hang around him, he does stuff and he gives you stuff and you get free food and all that kind of thing. And he turns loaves to, to thousands of loaves and the fish and you can hang around him and, and you get more stuff and, and you're, just, you're just tailing on to Jesus because of what he gives you, that it's going to separate you from the real seekers, because those folks maybe don't really have ears to hear. They're just after something that might be self-seeking. And so you see, a parable has a dual purpose. It's to relate the unseen thing to those who can otherwise see it, and to separate those who have ears and eyes to see and ears to hear from those who really aren't about the thing that matters to the kingdom. And so a little later, then Jesus then says, Matthew 13, 19 to 23, after his disciples says, Ha, huh. he tells them what the parable means. And I wonder whether if we didn't have this, whether we would understand what the parable was about. But thankfully, we do. Matthew 13, 9 to 23, Jesus says this. 19 to 23, Jesus says this. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Uh, this is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but only endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so you see, Jesus, Jesus has taken the parable that he's told them about. Someone goes out to sow, and some of it falls on rocky ground, and birds come and snatch it. And what Jesus says about that situation is that the one who snatches it is what he calls the wicked one. What do you think about that? That the sower who has good intents sows something, says something, speaks a word, gives something to us. And the wicked one is right there to try and snatch it away. To take it, to stop there being understanding so that what is, it doesn't make it into your heart that there is no understanding. And you think about this, it tells us that firstly there's an enemy um, who's actively set against the things of God and the purposes of God, um, but that this enemy's intent is wicked. It's not a good intent. He doesn't mean good. He means, the scripture says in other places, to steal and to kill and to destroy and to distract and to hinder and to obstruct and to get in the way of, of God's purposes. And, and interestingly, the, the focus of the enemy is to get between the word and understanding. So the word's sown and the enemy's focus is I've got to do everything to stop them understanding because if they understand what was said, if they understand what was spoken, imagine what a kind of catalyst that might be. Because if when God speaks, we hear it and then not only hear it, we understand it, it might lead us to repentance. 
It might lead us to start a journey that God wants us to start out on. It might lead us to begin something. It might lead us to take the thing that God has said and and do something with it. But if there's no understanding, we'll never get to that place. And so that's the the very first thing the enemy's set to do is is to steal it and to take it away with wicked intent, to stop us having understanding. And that's the seed that doesn't get anywhere. And then the second situation that Jesus describes is someone who hears immediately receives it with joy, whatever that looks like, but they only endure for a little while. Now think about that, and so you hear it, God says something maybe, you receive it, you understand it, and you, you begin, you start, but then it says that when, 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 when the sun comes and the, and the elements come, um, then, and, and then, you, then you stumble, Somehow, because, because when there's opposition that the scripture says is because of the word. So you're trying to walk in a particular way. You're trying to do a particular thing. But then trying to walk out the thing that God wants you to do, you face opposition. And you face sometimes even persecution that there's, there's something pushing back. Remembering that you've got the enemy who's trying to stop you understanding. And of course, the enemy just doesn't go away once you understand it. The enemy's going to get in your face and try and cause you to turn back or to turn aside or to do something that's a little bit like it, but it's not exactly it, and to stop you. And eventually, it could get too tough and too difficult, and eventually, you quit. And the interesting thing is it says it's that this person is missing root or missing depth. And so if you think about it for a little moment, it it means that we we can sometimes hear something from God, but we don't spend any time counting the cost or wondering what it takes to walk in the thing that God's calling us to do. But instead, we, we just rush into it, and we rush into it and instead of spending time preparing and planning and thinking about it and pondering it and reflecting on it. And, 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 and therefore, we don't, we don't pace ourselves back to that, that, that world's toughest race. It's the crew that sets out in the outrigger so hard. I mean, literally, one guy goes so hard that they finish the first leg first, and other people are saying, they can't sustain this. This is 11 days. This is 471 miles. They have no idea what they're doing. And the next thing you see is the guy that was the, the powerhouse of the outrigger is un- in his underpants being led by a pair, being pulled by string because he's, 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 he's got heat stroke. So he sets out fast and he's hitting the water hard. And the next minute he's being dragged because that's all they can do to keep him on track because they can't leave him. They've got to keep him going. And so, and so let's not be like that. When the Lord speaks to you, praise God if you hear it and you understand it. But then ponder it. Treasure those things in your heart. Even, even it says, it says of, 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 of Mary when, when, when Jesus, I think it was said to her that I was, when, when, when Jesus is a young child and he goes missing on the trip up to the temple and they find him and, he's, and he, he says something to her about, why were you looking for me? I, I, you know I was meant to be in my father's house. And she's, it says that she's like, huh? And she ponders it and she thinks about it for a while. Let's be people like that. Jesus prepared 30 years for three years of ministry. Do you think he couldn't have done it earlier? Do you think he wasn't spiritually better than all of us are at the age of 12? Yet somehow he realizes that the Father has a a perfect time and a perfect way for him to walk in it. So rather than rushing into it and then burning out, how many times have we started something and we've, we've flamed out because we didn't plan? 
And we didn't prepare, and our roots are not deep down into, 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 the, into the Spirit of God, who is the source of living water, who, who, who when we drink of that living water, we never run dry, but instead we're, we're rushing, and we're rushing, and then we flame out. And the Scripture says in Isaiah 40, 20, verse 28, verses 30 to 31, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. So look at that, God never faints. God is never weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Who's weak here? I raise both of my hands because I recognize that I need to know this. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. It doesn't matter how young you are, how virile, how strong, how much you've worked out, you're still going to run out of strength. And the young men shall utterly fall, but those Let's all read this together. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's our calling. Our calling isn't to be the people who hear and receive it and are excited about it and rushing to it and then faint when the opposition comes. Because I guarantee you this, if you ever do anything that God has asked you to do, you will face opposition of some kind. You will face persecution of some kind. You will face something pushing back against you, telling you that this thing you do is stupid. This thing you do is not of God. This thing you do, no one called you to do that. And if you don't believe me, go look even in the scripture at John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said there was no greater man born of woman. The one who prepares the way, who makes the way straight for the very Son of God, finds himself in jail one day because he's spoken up and told Herod, I think it is, that, that he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, so he gets locked in jail. And from jail, he sends a word to Jesus that basically says, are you really the one? Even John the Baptist is doubting his own sense of calling and purpose. And Jesus doesn't say to him, yes, I am. He says, go and tell him that the, the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and, the, and the, 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 the captives are being set free. In other words, the things that the one who was to come would do are being done, in other words. But John, facing opposition because of the difficulty of being jailed, Days, weeks, months, moments before his own head is cut off over a dance. The way of the kingdom is difficult. And if we act like the way of the kingdom isn't difficult and then the journey doesn't have a wicked one who's in our way and wants to oppose us and, and obstruct us and that to spring up and start is not the whole of it, to have an idea or a kingdom dream is not the whole of it, it's just the beginning then what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for failure because we don't understand that the way you finish the world's toughest races, it's not about starting, it's about perseverance to the finish line. And so that's the second thing Jesus speaks about, the second situation, the one who doesn't understand that it's snatched away from, the one who hears immediately springs up, but then when opposition and persecution comes, they run out of steam. And then the third situation Jesus speaks about is, and some seed falls among thorns, and the thorns choke it, and the thorns grow up and it becomes the seed and the plant growing becomes unfruitful. And Jesus describes this situation as being because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now think about that for a moment. So you've heard it, you've understood, you've begun, you've endured through some tribulation and persecution, but then all of a sudden you find yourself in thorns. 
And Jesus is saying that the thorns are simply the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And these things are working to obstruct the fruitfulness that, that you're not quite yet at. So look, can we speak for a moment about some of the things that the world cares for? What does the world care for? Does the world care for pleasure, maybe? So if we pursue pleasure, it's going to choke. Popularity? Does the world care for popularity? Do we do things because it's popular? Was what Jesus did popular? It wasn't popular. His disciples even, everyone deserted him at the end. It was the most unpopular thing anyone's ever done. And so if we go after the way of pleasure, we go after the way of popularity, we go after the, the, the other things that the world says matter, we'll never see fruitfulness according to the kingdom. And interestingly, Jesus, I think it's in, in Matthew 7, says that ultimately we cannot serve God and mammon. He doesn't say God and money. He says God and mammon. And mammon seems to be this world system, that prior, the priorities that the world has, one of which is to do things for cash. And Jesus not only says, so the cares of this world will act like thorns that choke, but the, the deceitfulness of riches. What does that mean? Maybe it means that if we chase riches and we make decisions because of finances and we make decisions because of the money equation, that at the end of the day, we're going to find that it was a lie and it was false. And Jesus goes so far in Matthew 7 to say that don't seek after where you're going to live or what you're going to wear or what you're going to reap. Don't worry about those things, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, which means every day, all the time, choose me, choose my thing, choose my kingdom dream, choose my kingdom purpose as God has said it to you, and all these things will be added. In other words, you don't seek them, but you get them anyway. Well, you get as much of it as you need anyway. You may not live in the, in the $10 billion house on the hill, but you have somewhere to live. You may not have a, wall, a closet that has a big wrap-round rail that you've got to cycle, but you're probably going to have some clothes. This is the way of the kingdom. And the thing is that what you realize is that, is that, is that before we can get to the fruit, because the last situation is, so, so the seed that falls on the ground that the birds snatch didn't get anywhere. The seed that fell into the shallow soil that didn't have any root, that didn't prepare, didn't plan, didn't think about it, didn't dig deep into the Lord and starts and rushes and runs out of steam, doesn't really get anywhere. The seed that begins and grows up and is, is rooted and endures the tribulation and persecution but then gets sidetracked and distracted by the cares and the concerns of the world and making decisions about money doesn't get anywhere. But at the end, praise God, we all say, some seed falls in good ground. And if you want to know what good ground is, I think good ground is the exact opposite of all the other things. So good ground is ground that isn't choked by the cares and concerns of this world. Good ground is ground that is not based on the deceitfulness of riches. Good ground is ground that endures through persecution because it has, has depth and root and all those other things. And so, so, so what, what I'm saying to you is, is, the, is the, the missing ingredient Maybe that we're missing, but certainly the ingredient that's essential to all of us is, is perseverance. So I have a dream isn't enough, because that's just the beginning. You may not even remember it. You may not start with it. You may start with it and spring into it, but then quit. 
You may start with it, get past the quit point, and then get distracted. And I'm not talking about in weeks and minutes. I'm talking about over the years of a life. That maybe God speaks something to you in your youth. And, and, and the idea is that we want to be people that when we look back at our lives, we can see fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, that somehow the fruit originates from our lives. And we're called, my brothers, my sisters, to be people who persevere. And so I got four observations to, to close with here. And so the first one is this. It's that understanding the spiritual journey is vital. If we don't get what Jesus is trying to say to us, we have no hope, no chance. We can't do it. If we don't get that beginning is not everything, that we need root, that we need depth, that there's a wicked one who's trying to obstruct us and to hinder us and to cause us to be distracted and to kill and to steal and to destroy. If we don't get that the cares and the concerns of this world will choke, let me give you an example. If we spend 45 minutes a day on one thing, watching TV, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, a pastime, a PlayStation, an Xbox, just 45 minutes a day for 30 years of our lives, that adds up to a whole year. A whole year. So you do three of those 45-minute things. That's three years of your life over 30 years. You live 90 years. That's nine years of your life just gone. And so do you think the devil doesn't know this? Well, maybe I can't stop them but I'm going to get in the way of them as much as I can and distract them with things that seem to be pointless, like watching shows like the world's toughest race. But I was convinced that having watched it, I was going to find something in it that was useful because the scripture says, at the end of the day, meditate on things that are good and wholesome and, 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 and where there is any virtue. At the end of the day, if you can find something that's good in it, and even if you didn't, even you're like, God, I wasted my time, but I'm going to find something good in this. And I'm going to talk to people about something that's perseverance that I saw in this and to do something with it. But at the end of the day, it's not be people who find ourselves at the end of our lives regretting that, oh, I wish I had another year. I wish I had three more years. And you could equate those three years to, 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 to 45 minutes a day on TikTok or Instagram and Facebook or Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax. We'll waste our lives away. We'll never see the fulfillment of the word that the Lord speaks to us. So understanding the spiritual journey is vital. We have an enemy. He hates us because we look like Jesus. We have the image of God in us, and he's trying to distract us. And he's trying to kill us, and he's trying to steal from us. He's trying to derail us. He's trying to, you know, many of us need to throw our phones away and pay attention and not look at it first, time in the, first thing in the day, which is what I do sometimes. As soon as I do it, I'm like, oh, God, I'm already on that pathway because it's, it's you, think, you, think, you think the devil's not going to just sit right by and soon as my eyes open, like, now, phone, first thought, I'm going to pop in your head. If you don't realize that that can be an actual thought that the evil one is trying to sow into you right at the start of the day to distract you from the course and the path that God has. So understanding the spiritual journey is vital, which is why Jesus, who knows the whole of it, has exploded what's in the heavens, and he's told us it in a parable that is relatable and understandable. That's what Jesus is doing here. Secondly, prayer is vital. Why is prayer vital? Because it's all about God. It's not about us. It's all about his power. 
his gifts, his gifts of perseverance, of faith, of wisdom, of understanding, all the things that we need, pray. God, help me to understand. God, help me not be distracted. God, I've been distracted. I'm sorry I was distracted. I just wasted a year, a week of my time. God, I'm sorry I started too soon. And I want to persevere and it's tough now and I don't want to quit. God, help me not to quit. Whatever we need to pray, pray and your Father in heaven is faithful and will give you everything you have need of. So pray, pray for one another. Pray for those of, when you see someone, you see them caught in something, pray that God will deliver them. When you're caught in something yourself, pray that God will deliver you. So understanding the spiritual journey is important. Prayer is vital. And thirdly, work out what God is working within. Work out what God is working within. In Philippians 2, verses 13 to 14, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If we leave that up for a second. So you see what's going on there. God is working in you. The Spirit of God is at work within you giving you the will and the power to do what is his good pleasure, we must therefore work it out. God's working in you. Perceive God's work in you. Perceive the things God's saying, walk this way, stop that, do this, turn, start. Change your life. Declutter your life. Whatever God's saying giving you all the things you need within you so that his will, his kingdom purpose is achieved, is obtained, working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Therefore, work it out. In other words, it's not just about sitting there and saying, oh, God's going to do it all. God's going to do it. I'm just going to wait for the spirit to move and the spirit's going to do all. It's rubbish because that scripture tells me that I've got to work it out. We ain't going to get anywhere if we just sit around and wait for the Holy Spirit to do all of it. Because otherwise it will say, sit down with your arms folded and wait for the Spirit of God to do it. It doesn't. It says, perceive what God's doing in you and do it. Work it out. Recognize the strength he's given you and stand in that strength. Recognize the wisdom he's given you and act with that wisdom. Recognize the words that he's given you and speak those words out. Recognize the path he's called you on and walk in that path. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing that it's not me, it's God. Therefore, pray for yourself. Therefore, pray for one another. And then the fourth point is we persevere in community. The one thing I noticed about that world's toughest race is there were teams. They had a fifth person. There was four of them, and the fifth person is their support crew who was getting the bike from here to there. Um, and they had medical teams who were wrapping them in blankets when they were suffering from hypothermia. Um, in the, in the, the Iron Cowboy thing, it was even worse. I mean, his whole family was on the road with him. He had four kids, five kids, and they were in this, this RV, and they traveled from state to state, and his wife was there, and, and they had people running alongside him. His little daughter went, ran the last 5K of every marathon with him for all 50 states. His mother, who was, has been suffering with overweight obesity, said that I'm going to commit to run the last five 5Ks with you. And you see this, this lady, she's just, <laughs> but she doesn't. She was the last to finish every day. But the team around him helped him do what he set out to do. And it's amazing that at the end, what was interesting was I was watching it, was that he doesn't have a lot of support. Not a lot of people are behind him at the start. But as it looks like he's about to do it, then everybody jumps on board. That's the way it is with spiritual things. No one wants to know you when it looks like it's not going to work. But as soon as it looks like it's going to work, everybody's going to jump on board. And Jesus actually tells a parable about that because he says that the seed that grows and becomes the tree 
Ultimately, the birds of the ear come and nest in it. In other words, they're getting in on the thing that was once only a seed of faith. But we persevere in community. We have to do it together. As Ben reminded us last week, we have to be full of grace and truth to one another. We have to be merciful to one another. We have to be gracious to one another, but forgiving. We have to encourage one another. There's times we've got to look at somebody else and say, hold on. It's time you've got to look at someone and say, look, you've got to declutter your life. You've got too much stuff. Simplify your life. There's times you've got to say, look, my brother, my sister, you fell. Get back up again. Press on. Quit that. Prioritize. Let me walk by you for a season to help you stand in this. There's no way we achieve this on our own. And the last scripture I want to close with is this, Romans 5 three to four, which is really problematic. It says, we glory in tribulations. Reflect on that. You love it when it gets tough. Show of hands. I love it when it's difficult. You know what? Some of the people in those races were actually saying that, that I love finding out what my limits are. I've just done 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days, and I feel as if there's more. I've got to test myself more. I've got to push myself more. As Christians, we should be like this. We should look. Someone should be, you know, someone's here. It's like, I was in jail, but I can, I can take more than that. Isn't that the whole of what Paul is saying in the whole of the Scripture, that when I'm pressed and crushed, it just doesn't make any difference because the treasure within just, just grows and expands. In other words, we're meant to be people that are, are not soft, and we're not after the easy life. Christianity is not about, I'm called to an easy life, I'm called to glory and tribulation. Knowing that there's no other way for perseverance to occur. Because tribulation produces, tribulation does the work of producing in us perseverance. You want perseverance, we've got to go through stuff. We've got to go through stuff. We've got to live through pandemics. And stand. We've got to live through wars in the country when one Republican Party is trying to kill a Democratic Party and everybody's against everybody. We've got to live through that and we've got to stand. We've got to not like it, but we've got to glory in it, recognizing that when we persevere in that in a good way, as people who are full of grace and truth and are living through it and are testifying of the glory and the goodness of God in the midst of this, that somehow we're, we're, perseverance is being worked in us. We've got to live through the racial unrest and all those other issues going on. We've got to live through the times when the thing we set out to do becomes hard and impossible and we want to quit. But someone else says, get up, my brother. Keep going, my brother. My sister, don't quit, don't stop, don't turn back. You can keep going. There's more in you. There's more left. Glory in tribulations because tribulation produces perseverance. And if you want character, look where character comes. We form Christian character through perseverance in tribulation. Character produces hope in Jesus Christ, in the goodness and the magnificence of his salvation, in the fact that he's coming again. If we lose that focus that Jesus is coming again, and there will one day be a day when, when no more crying, no more sorrow, no more suffering. That's the thing that our brothers and sisters who walked before us persevered in. And so we encourage one another in these things. 
This is good stuff, folks. It's hard stuff, but it's the reality. And I don't want to come up here and tell you stuff that's not real. You can go and walk. If I came and said, look, by the way, you're a Christian now and life's going to be perfect for the rest of your life and you're never going to face storms, never going to face difficulties. When you face it, you're going to be that man was, he just didn't tell me the truth. But I'm telling you truth because Jesus tells truth to his disciples and he probably shocks them. At the end of the day, we need God. We need one another. And so I got three reflection questions for you here. And this is an opportunity for um, you at home um, to take communion. And if you have the elements there, and if not in the room, um, if you don't have one of the um, communion cups, um, there are some on the table there, there at the back. Um, and the top's difficult to get off, but persevere. You'll get there. <laughs> Got to be real delicate with the, the peel back of the clear layer, not the one underneath it. These are the three questions. What aspect of the parable of the sower speaks to you most and why? Ask God that. Let's read again Matthew 13 and just say, God, where are you speaking to me most about this? Where am I in this parable? Am I choked by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches? Am I a starter but not a finisher? Do I not even get to the point of having understanding where's my desire for fruit? Secondly, how can someone else encourage you to persevere? Just reflect on that. Think about your last week. How can someone else help you persevere? And then thirdly, how can you encourage someone else to persevere? So just spend a moment reflecting on those three questions and you can think about them during the course of the week because I, I don't feel we do everything here on a Sunday. This is just to wake something up in us. As you ponder it and reflect on it during the week, what is God saying to you through the parable of the sower? How can you be encouraged by someone else to persevere? And go find that person and say, look, I need this. You can help me with this. And then look for the person who's saying, and you can help me in this way.